There's no Nazis on this show, mister. You're a cup. You're oh. worse than you're worse than Hitler. <laughs> Just, do the, clap. Also, <laughs> Just oh, do the clap. Just do the clap. You want me to give you the clap. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's an episode of Max Mike movies nobody wants to see. <laughs> this week okay. on a very special after school Max Mike movies. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it hurt when Mike pees? <laughs> Don't do that before the show. <laughs> sorry, <you> idiot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, serious up. Okay. There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Hello. Our name is Max Mike Movies. You killed our pony. Here's a dollar. <laughs> yes, for this week's entry in quotes, unquotes, and quotes, we are quotationally querying the quotidian quandary that is 1987's The Princess Bride. This is a film adapted by, and from a novel, by Hollywood legend William Goldman, and directed by Meathead. <laughs> I'm, I'm Rob Reiner. I'm sorry, Mr. Reiner, sir. And I still feel the movie missed a golden opportunity by not using the novel's actual tagline, what happens when the most beautiful girl in the world meets the handsomest prince in the world and he turns out to be a son of a bitch. But enough blathering. You want us to get started? Well, as you fish. Damn it! Um, <laughs> I mean, as you squish. Oh! <laughs> Line. Nope. You know what? You know what? Never mind. Moment's ruined. I'm not editing this. <laughs> nope. I'm your host, Miracle Max Levine. Come on. It was right there. <laughs> and over yonder is my childlike giant henchman, Mike Luce. Give us a rhyme, Mike. Um, time and, um, uh, saucer. And it's right back to the orphanage you go. Ah. <laughs> yes, sorry, it's medical experiments for the lot of you. I hate cruel. <laughs> it's so cruel. Oh, I'm! <laughs> Too late, off you go. Damn. <laughs> but before we get to the to our princess briding, we've got our poll question. Poll question. Mike asked, what is your favorite cinematic twisty turny whodunit? Steve Harvey, noted Egyptologist, True. gives us death on the Nile, naturally. <laughs> Not the new one, yuck. Ah. From Dave. Dave. Gosh, too many to count. The ones that stand out are The Thin Man, The Big Sleep, The Trouble with Harry, and Murder, She Said. The first for the dialogue and Asta. The second for the hard-boiled. The third for the false scenery. Hmm? That's interesting from a whodunit. And for Shirley. He means McLean, oh. I assume. McLean! <laughs> and the last, both for Margaret Rutherford and because Agatha Christie has to be on the list. That's fair. Mm. The Thin Man is probably my favorite, but not because of the twisty turny whodunit, which is very good, no question, but because the dialogue is fantastic, William Powell and Myrna Loy have amazing chemistry, and it's a movie about drinking. <laughs> All true, every word. That's why I go to the movies, the drinking. <laughs> Adam Mark says, I won't say any of the Agatha Christie films. Ooh. Ooh. They basically mirror the novels exactly, so I know the culprit going in. The old ones have great casts. 
The new ones are abhorrent. Whoa. Ouch. Someone has a word of the day calendar <laughs> and needs to be need to be exercised from the silver screen forever. Yikes. Uh, for a strict whodunit, Knives Out mm. is faithful to the genre and an absolutely welcome breath of fresh air. I loved it and was sorry to see it end. Well, not strictly a whodunit, I think Memento is very compelling as a mystery with, comp- with a compelling twist. Guy Pierce, afflicted with no long-term memory, I guess that's yeah, how you would describe it, sets out to find the bad guy, a mysterious wrongdoer who has harmed the protagonist and his allies. With scenes artfully played in reverse order, only the viewer is allowed to see how, turn by turn, Pierce is in fact the bad guy. Oh, great. Thanks for spoiling it. Spoiler. Who forgets his own transgressions, murder, assault, theft, and every good ally is just a manipulator or a scoundrel. I cannot think of a film that captivated me more scene by scene. Not strictly a murder mystery, but definitely appealing to mystery fans. Wow. It sounds like an entire movie based on that old Steve Martin bit, I forgot. Forgot. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. Honorable mention goes to Salt, to Angelina Jolie's story of, of a secret agent turned double agent turned triple agent, and who turns who knows. Seeking to stop an assassination attempt has so many twists and turns and reveals at one point I just smiled and leaned back, reveling in it and stopped trying to follow it. Cool. We're left with Salt running off into the woods, unsure of whom she is off to kill or to avenge or to save. For all we know, she'll always be in the shadows. Love it. Much more compelling than the choir boy Jason Bourne films, which I cannot stand. Fight me! (laughs) It's a crime against cinema that they never turn Salt into a franchise. Adam... Now that's that's the Adam Mark I we that we know and love. None of these one word answer things. <laughs> Good to see you back, Adam. Matt Reisman says, "Knives Out." It's probably the first mystery I had seen in fifteen years that both thoroughly embraced the genre and felt fresh. AJ Sheems or Shemis. It's Sheems. Sheems said, "Primal Fear." Ooh, I never even wanted to try that one. Edward Norton is amazing in that movie, and I believe it was his first role. And The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino as the Devil. Yeah, I gotta say, he's he makes a great Devil. I never would have thought that, but I liked Robert De Niro better in Angel Heart. You ever see that? Yeah, that's right. As Louis, as the very subtly named Louis Cipher. <laughs> of course, uh, Pacino's not much better as John Milton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Get it? Because he wrote a book. Bonk, bonk uh, on the head. Bonk, bonk. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Steve Kellner is another vote for Knives Out is amazing and explicitly inspired by the classic Agatha Christie films, which I think are generally better than the books for a number of reasons. Uh-oh. I sense a Kellner-Marks fight coming up. Oh, dear. Not the least of which are great actors chewing scenery. I think Glass Onion is excellent, too. Some people like one but not the other, but I'm not sure why from a mystery perspective. I think both are excellent but take different tracks. Okay. Jamie Kleinert. Snatch! We don't know. We don't need to know about your weekend activities, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I don't know if it's officially fits as a whodunit, but it has the twisty turny part down pat. Hmm, true indeed. Anthony Merrill says, no way out, and I'm leaving out the second sentence because it spoils the whole movie. Oops. <laughs> Tony Kellner says, knives out and death trap. Oh, death trap, sure. Steve Kellner chimes in again with, ah, sleuth. Yeah, a two-person whodunit. That is a hell of a movie. Are you in That's the, someone, and there's two big, big names in it. Who is Lawrence it? Lawrence Olivier and Marco Kane. Oh, there you go. Yep. 
Benjamin Carl says, you know, I'm looking and I don't see Clue on anyone's list. <laughs> also, JFK, that's interesting. Hmm. And Event Horizon, just to th- shake things up a bit. There's an interesting choice. I would not have thought of that one. I wouldn't But either. it works. That's a freaky movie. Aaron Gelman has Miller's Crossing. The Cones doing 1930s Gangland is great on all levels and plenty twisty turny. Yeah, but it's a, it's hard to watch. Mm. Meredith Gilchrist says, I often guess the ending, but Gone Girl really threw me the first time I saw it. Hmm. Hmm. Neat. Kelly Cooper says, at some point in the 1980s or 1990s, I, th- I th- saw the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express without ever having read the book, so it was a complete surprise and delight. Hmm. See our previous episode on all three versions of Murder on the Orient Express. Anon, A-N-O-N, which 2018 was very well done. Stylish, the stylish, futuristic noir. I don't know that one. Me neither. Which reminds me of Minority Report, a science fiction mystery that I found enjoyable and complex. Yeah. Which reminds me that I was surprised by how much I liked Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise, which is also a twisty science fiction story, but mainly it's a repeating day problem. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that as a whodunit. See our previous episode on as we um, know the, the rinse die repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which reminds me of Boss Level 2021. I don't know that one. Me either. Another repeating day problem that was hyper-violent but amusing, and Michelle Yeoh is a small but fabulous part. <laughs> wait, wait, let's just stop on that sentence. Hyper-violent and amusing. Yeah, hey, uh, they can be. Come on. I don't know. Big Trouble in Little China is hyper-violent no, and amusing? No, no, no. That's not hyper-violent, because the violence in that is very cartoony, which is it should be. And there's wire foo. Whenever there's wire foo, that's not hyper-violence. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Day says, I saw someone mention Miller's Crossing, and I'll second that. I like plenty of more traditional detective mystery-type films, but first thing I thought of was Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Oh, Mm, yeah. A mystery about magic and magicians full of illusions and sleight of hand, and yet the plot itself is an incredible illusion that makes you think you figured things out repeatedly when you're nowhere close. And with probably the best, most jaw-dropping, I-did-not-see-that-coming reveal ever. Poof. Memento is great as well and very unique. That's not a phrase. And almost gets lost in its own confusion to agree. Something is either unique or not unique. See our previous episode. Hey, huh? <laughs> Valerie Coons uh, from the maven of, of Q footsteps. Q CQ footsteps. footsteps. Most of mine have already been mentioned. Knives Out, The Big Sleep, The Maltese Falcon. I would add Murder My Sweet. I really wish I could include the usual suspects, but considering the person in the starring role, I don't know if I can. Stephen, the assistant, came up with a great one. Charade. Oh, yeah. Richard Tatum, inventor of the Tatum. (laughs) One week you need to tell us what a Tatum is. You don't know. (laughs) I can't tell you. You don't have high enough clearance. You don't know. (laughs) He brings in. I totally do. You just can't. You're you're just. No, I can't tell you. Uh, He brings in usual suspects, regardless of Mr. Spatchy. (laughs) Charles Forsyth says, I can think of a few twisty turny movies in terms of murder mysteries, Death Trap, but Primal Fear wins the prize. Oh, wait, can't believe I forgot the usual suspects. Another one who's willing to overlook Mr. Spachaman. Brian Mundo, clue all the way. (laughs) The Knives Out movies have been really good so far. And Dan Schaefer points out, I was inordinately pleased when I got the home video version of Clue with all three endings and found out that the one I had seen in the theater was, quote, how it really happened. Yeah. 
Because I went to two, I could only find two out of the three theaters. I actually had to go to theaters to find the endings. And once again, trudging in from where he has been hunting the mighty walrus (laughs) and building his igloo. On his moose. (laughs) On his his majestic moose. Vince, I was really surprised by by Memento, by the conclusion and how it was set up. It keeps you off balance, and I had no idea how it was going to be resolved. I'm not a great fan of mystery or detective stories, and this film really gave the genre a new twist. The same could be said of The Mechanic, but less so. The Mechanic. That's the one where Christian Bale loses 150 pounds of his 200-pound weight. Oh, oh, I never saw it. I didn't either. That's right. It looked really unpleasant. Yeah. Oh, all right. And then he, right after that, went to do Batman. So he gained 200 pounds. So what did he do? He strapped another actor to his body? Uh, He ate Robin. Explains a That's lot. That's why there's All no right. Robin in those films. Oh, <laughs> it's a little-known Hollywood truth. <laughs> but but Mike, know. what about you? What's your favorite twisty, turny, upside-down cake? Who done it? Well, and we've discussed this whole "can you watch it? Can you appreciate it?" thing in the past, and uh, it's been 235 episodes. I can't remember. Did we do an episode on Usual Suspects? Yes, we did. I thought we did. So, see our previous yep. episode on Usual Suspects. I adore Usual Suspects because. Yeah. There, for me, I am not somebody who goes into a whodunit trying to guess. The yeah, only, I'm always wrong. Well, I'm usually, it depends. If it's not a very good film, I will try and guess because I'm bored. But otherwise, I'd rather be surprised. I don't want to prove I'm smarter than the filmmakers. And Usual Suspects really blindsided me. I had no idea that what was coming was coming. And even better, and I'm afraid this is the last time this has happened, after the movie, the people I went to see it with stood out in the parking lot for the next two hours discussing the film. Because it was that interesting. So... I am a big fan of Usual Suspects, but I also dearly love Charade. I have watched uh, that film many fine times. It's very charming. See our previous episode in Charade? Because I think uh, we did. I think it's one of think our favorite we d- I think we did, yes. It's, okay, there's a little bit of inappropriateness with um, yeah, the yeah, Cary Grant. Cary Grant and, yeah. Audrey Hepburn, yeah. But they're both so lovely in their roles, and I it feels like Europe in the 60s, which it is, because some films do, some films don't. And I probably didn't see the original ending coming. So those are my two favorites. But this was my question. So what's your answer? Well, I like Usual Suspects. But honestly, if I had to go with a favorite who'd done it, I'd say it's The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould. No, I've never seen it. He's a very interesting take on Philip Marlowe. Oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess I, hearing the title, I thought it was some sort of romance. Yeah. It, it, it's just so odd and quirky. And he's just watching him being interrogated by the police and he's stolen the fingerprint pad and he's painting his face black. <laughs> um, just as this weird, he's not doing like, he's not doing minstrel or anything. He's just painting his face black. And I think at one point he looks at one of the cops and goes, okay, how, you gonna, now you're going to beat me up because I'm black? Oh, so he kind <laughs> of was doing blackface. Kind of. Okay. But also he's just, you know, just screwing with them. But he's so laid back about it. I also love the the fact that his cat will only eat this one brand of cat food and it, he can't get it. So he takes an empty tin of it and is filling it from another <laughs> one. And the cat still knows and he doesn't understand why. Um, maybe scent and taste. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's very unusual. I never saw the ending coming. Huh. I think it's really cool. Interesting. Well, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh... Yeah. And thank you all. 
all these were terrific answers very. and very, very well thought out, very well presented. Just uh, just what we've come to expect from our listeners. But if you want an A so, for the quarter, what are yeah. they going to have to do? Well, if you want an A for a quarter, you're going to have to see me after class. No. No. No, no, no. But it's We but do it not bow, chicka, bow, bow on this show. Yeah, it is me, Carl Hungus. I've been an expert. <laughs> oh, dear gods, no. <laughs> Put your big no, Lebowski no. away and give us next week's poll question. <laughs> uh, Yes, we'll tell you how to answer later, but this next poll question is who somewhat inspired by this movie, who is your favorite, if any, athlete turned actor? Ah. Or do you think athletes should just stay in their lane? And I'm counting Andre the Giant in this. Yes, I am counting professional wrestlers. Because even though it's not a sport, they are certainly athletes. Mm. And you can tell us, well, we'll let you know at the end. Unless your answer is OJ Simpson, in which case <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to know. Yeah. In which case, also, I think you may need to speak to somebody. Um, but now, let's get to... The facts. Budget, $16 million. Hmm. Worldwide gross, you want to take a shot? Worldwide gross, 150 30 Oh! Yeah, this movie did not do well financially. We'll get back to that. Oops. This was, as I say, adapted by a novel... By William Goldman. William Goldman, if you don't know, wrote a couple little films like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, oh. All the President's Men, oh. The Stepford Wives, and Marathon Man. Oh. Um. Guys won two Oscars. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's also an award-winning novelist. I was very, I like his books a lot. Mm. Uh, William Goldman came up with the title of the novel based on what his daughters requested in terms of ideas for his next novel. One wanted him to write a book about a princess. The other one wanted a book about a bride. So he coined the title, The Princess Bride. Ah. Nice going, Dad. The Princess Bride is Rob Reiner's favorite book ever. Oh. Ah, jeez, meathead. And he had, I'm sorry, I know it's been 50 years, but he, uh, he had to convince William Goldman to let him make it. Goldman was reluctant to let somebody else work with this book. Because it was the f his favorite thing he'd ever written. Oh. After watching Spinal Tap, Goldman knew that Reiner was the right guy to direct the film. Hmm. When asked to name his favorite thing about making this movie, Andre René Rusimov, Andre the Giant, replied, without skipping a beat, nobody looks at me. He felt he was treated as an equal without people staring at him just because he was big. Oh. Mandy Patinkin has said the role of Inigo Montoya is his favorite role of the course of his entire career and the man's had a hell of a long career during the filming of some of the scenes the weather became really cold for poor robin wright andre would help by placing one of his hands on top of her head his hand was so big it would cover the entire cup of her head keeping her warm he probably also emitted a lot of heat <laughs> probably did there is another adorable story wallace sean tells when they're climbing the cliffs of insanity ah, and he's ah, supposed ah. to be, he's being strapped to Andre's chest. Wallace Shawn has a crippling fear of heights mm. and they didn't have to climb high. They only climbed like eight actual feet, but Andre could feel him shaking. And he like apparently starts climbing with one arm, puts his arm around uh, Wallace and Wallace Shawn and goes, I keep you safe. Don't you be scared. I keep you safe. He said, Wallace was like, I had to, it was so hard not to cry. Aww. 
Robin Wright and Carrie Elwes were absolutely smitten with each other during the filming, helping the chemistry. Oh, my. Yeah, Elwes said he couldn't concentrate on much of anything after that first encounter with Robin. Oh, my. Yeah. Now, Carrie had kind of a hard time in this movie. He went off-roading in somebody's dune buggy and broke one of his toes. And when Count Rugen hits Wesley over the head, Carrie Elwes told Christopher Guest to go ahead and hit him for real. Guess hit him hard enough to knock him unconscious and rip open the top of his head. Oops. Production was stuck, was st- shut down for the whole day while he went to the hospital. Well done. Mandy Patinkin claimed the only injury he sustained during the entire filming of this movie was a bruised rib, and that was because he was holding in the laughter in the scenes with Billy Crystal. <laughs> His attempt is really obvious if you watch his facial expression during his line, This is noble, sir. In an interview, Manny Patenkin said his most famous line from The Princess Bride, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die, gets quoted back to him by at least two or three strangers every day of his life. And he also said he loves hearing the line and he's... He loves the general fact that he got to be in the movie, stating, quote, I'm frankly thrilled about it. I can't believe I got to be in The Wizard of Oz. You know what I mean? <laughs> During the Miracle Max scene, it, he wasn't the only one who had problems. Rob Reiner and Carrie Elways had to be removed forcibly from the set because they kept laughing at Billy Crystal's improvised lines. That's not Carrie Elways on the table. He couldn't keep, his, uh, keep it straight, so they used a dummy. <laughs> Some would say. Oops. And, uh, <laughs> yes, and Reiner had to watch from a closed-circuit TV. William Goldman was on set during the scene in the fire swamp when uh, Robin's right right's dress catches on fire. He knew it was intentional, but he suddenly freaked out and ran across going, She's on fire! <laughs> According to William Gibson, when he was trying to... Uh, Gibson, yeah, that would be a different movie. He was trying to Goldman when he was trying to get the movie made in the 70s. There was this unknown big guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger who wanted to play Fezzik, and he was seriously considering him because he could never get his first choice, which was Andre the Giant. But by the time the movie was made about 12 years later, Schwarzenegger was such a big star, they couldn't afford him. Mm. He also, I don't think he's that tall. He isn't. He's about 6'2", 6'4". I'm 6'2". Yes, but he's a lot wider. Oh, all right. (laughs) Rob Reiner and Andrew Scheinman recorded all of Andre's scenes on tape with Rob doing Andre's lines because Andre the Giant did not speak English. Oh. During the rehearsals, Andre would walk around with the headphones with the tape playing all the time. He had to learn the lines phonetically, but he did it so well they didn't even have to loop his dialogue. Hmm. The dread pirate Roberts really existed. Bartholomew Roberts, also known as Black Bart. Ooh. He operated in the Caribbean in the early 18th century. A lot of people consider him one of the most successful Caribbean pirates of all time. Calabunga. That was terrible. <laughs> what? That, <laughs> oh, yeah, what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the ROUSs, rodents of unusual size, were created with diminutive actors <laughs> inside, inside rat suits, in case you can't tell. Oh. <laughs> yes. On the day Wesley was supposed to wrestle the main actor, Danny Blackner, they couldn't find him. Finally, Blackner arrived on set with a long story about being pulled over for speeding the night prior uh, on his way home from the bar and being put in jail for a few hours for drinking after the policeman didn't believe his story 
about having to work as an actor playing a giant rat. <laughs> Funny he wouldn't believe that. Funny. Uh, in order to create the, quote, greatest sword fight in modern times, that's how it's written in the script, Carrie Elways and Manny Patinkin trained for months with Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson, who between them had been in the Olympics, worked with bo on Bond films, Lord of the Rings, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Star Wars. They coached Errol Flynn and Burt Lancaster. Every spare moment on set was spent practicing. Eventually, when they showed Rob Reiner the sword fight for the movie, he was underwhelmed and requested that it be at least three minutes long instead of just one. So they added steps to the set, watched more swashbuckling movies for inspiration, re-choreographed the scene, and ended up with a three-minute and ten-second fight that took the better part of a week to film from all angles. Well, it was worth it. They did all, almost all of their own sword fighting and their own stunts. The own, according to Rob Reiner, the only stunt that Elway's the stunt double did was the double flip during the chatty duelists scene. Well, and one other scene that you already mentioned, it was a dummy on the table because oh, stuntman yes, couldn't laughing stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> the names that Wesley and Inigo refer to in the duel are real fencing terms named after 14th and 15th century proponents. Ooh. Bonetti's defense refers to refraining from attacking on uneven terrain. Capofera refers to a linear attack, the best for uneven ter uh, terrain. Tybalt refers to angular defenses. And Agrippa refers to natural short sword movements, which cancel out angular defenses and attacks. Ah. Hmm. There is actual royalty in this movie. This I never knew this. Christopher Guest, comedy legend Christopher Guest, who plays Count Rugen is actually a baron. He's the fifth baron Hayden guest of sailing in X in Essex. Uh, really? Yeah! The man's a nobleman. I thought he was ro royalty because he married Jamie Lee Curtis. Nope, nope, that's just, that was sort of that's better than being luck. knighted. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. At the celebration party after the movie, Rob Reiner saw Christopher Guest and forgot he had been in the film. <laughs> The reason he gave was Guest loses himself so much in his roles, Reiner didn't even think of the six-fingered man as being him. You hired him. <laughs> you meathead. <Yeah. laughs> Billy Crystal used his Saturday Night Live makeup artist, Peter Montagna, to create Miracle Max. Billy brought him photos of his grandmother and Casey Stengel. <laughs> Baseball fans will know who that is. Yeah, he was a to manager help of, the, of the Yankees, wasn't he? Yep. To help develop the look and also brought in an uncle who had similar bone structure. Very thorough. Yeah, the only reason I know that is it was on an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. <laughs> <laughs> I get all my sports knowledge from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. <laughs> uh, here's one just really I put in for Mike. According to Elways, who wrote a book about making this movie, the scene where Inigo, Fezzik, and the mostly dead Wesley are on the parapet getting ready to storm the castle. Reiner said, let's film the rehearsal and see what happens. Right after Fezzik said the line, I guess not very long, Andre lets out an incredible fart that lasted at least 16 seconds by one count. The noise of it was so loud that it shook the plywood set of the parapet and made the sound engineer have to take off his headphones. During this, Elways looks over at Andre and swears he saw steam rising from his head. That's after not where these, come from. <laughs> after the described symphony of flatulence was over, a stunned silence fell across the set 
Reiner recovered and said, hey, hey, Andre, you okay? To which Andre replied, I am now, boss. Except in whatever language he speaks, French or Russian. <laughs> French, language. yeah. Uh, Vizzini's advice on not getting a, a, involved in a land war in Asia is derived from the principles of Field Marshal Bernard L. Montgomery mm. in, a in a speech to the House of Lords. Rule one on page one of the book of war is do not march on Moscow. Rule two is do not go fighting with your land armies in China. Do not fart on the set. Do not fart on the parapet. Do not do not bring a flatulent giant to the battlefield. You paraquat. Mar the music in this movie is done by Mark Knopfler, mm. as in Dire Straits. And uh, Knopfler made a deal with Rob Reiner. He said, I'll only do the music if you somehow hide the hat you wore in This Is Spinal Tap somewhere in the film. Oh. The hat is hanging on the door of the grandson's bedroom. I checked. It's there. Okay. And as I, this film tested better than every other movie of that year other than Back to the Future. Consequently, there's a bit of bitterness on William Goldman's part that it didn't make more money. He blames the studio for not knowing how to sell it. Oh, Back to the Future 2. Yeah, yeah, 2. And there's a ton more, but that was I mean, a lot. I put in that was a lot, but uh, I think that's that's enough. Well, do tell us a story, daddy. Uh, I will. It's the age-old story. Girl meets boy, girl loses boy, girl gets an engagement of convenience to a prince/hunter. Girl gets kidnapped by a Broadway singer, a professional wrestler, and one of the two guys from My Dinner with Andre. Boy fights a cool sword fight, beats up a giant, and thinks a Sicilian to death to reach girl. Girl and boy go through part of the set of Labyrinth and fight a guy in a rat suit. Boy gets captured. Boy dies. Boy gets resurrected by Billy Crystal in 30 pounds of latex makeup. Castle gets stormed. Professional wrestler self-immolates. Another big sword fight. Girl gets rescued. Vengeance gets served. Good guys win despite the fact they should have bled to death or something. I mean, how many times have we seen this? Once. The film. Was that actually the set from Labyrinth? No. Oh, I, it, it could have been. I don't know. It. it just reminded me of it. So, Mike, did you see this when it came out? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I saw it in a theater. I think I saw it later on videotape <laughs> you remember that stuff oh yes now you can wrap presents with it i am yep. betting i'll bet a dollar you saw it in the theater i did i saw it right when it first came out i've seen it a few times on videotape since now are, were you a fan of the book before the movie came out i was i was a fan uh, and there's another reason for that but we'll talk about that during the wrap-up um it's not the play is it yes ah then i won't mention it again because that would be Insane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen this film many, many times uh, in, since then. And uh, we often start with the cast. Do we want to start with the cast? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, you know, a few lesser known people and Andre the Giant. But, you know, if you really want to do them. <laughs> uh, Andre the Giant is fine for what he does. He's there to look big and impressive. The, one pro the only problematic scene I have is when he's trying to be menacing. When they've got him in the wheelbarrow and he's like, I am the Diane Pyle Roberts. Yeah. It's like, 
No, they would have just started giggling even when he catches fire. He's suppo- it's, it's supposed to be this terrifying psychological warfare. And it's just like, all I can picture them saying is, huh? What's that? <laughs> well, that and of course the wheelbarrow is kind of a giveaway, but yeah. Yeah, well. So, yeah. So, uh, he, he's fine. I mean, I don't know what else you're going to do, except today you do CG, right? Which. Yeah. No, no, it's just, it's not even the look, it's his reading. He's just not frightening. No. So, that's the main star of the film, but... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, there's Carrie Elways and Robin Wright, and my God, are they pretty. Well, they are, so much so that, and I'm not saying she isn't now, but I did not know that was Robin Wright until the end of the credits. Yeah. And of course, this is her first big role, because it says, and introducing. Yeah, this was her first movie. I mean, I, I would say the thing I know her best from is House of Cards. And okay, now, I also know her, of course, from, you know, my name is Forrest Gump. Oh, she was in that? Yeah, she she's Jenny. Oh, right, okay. And she is very beautiful, and later would have the sense to divorce... Um, Sean, Sean Penn. Penn. Oops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Really, know. Apparently, he's not. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. She was lovely in this. Um, I don't think it's a particularly taxing role for her, especially no, they, seeing what she, she can do does later. Not, she does not get very much to do in this at all. No. I will. Well, we'll get to the character part later. Carrie Elwes. I. This is the only thing I know him from. I don't really know him from. Oh, he's done it. Well, he's done a bunch oh, of I'm stuff. Sure he, he has. He, he's in Hot Shots. Uh, oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. He, yep. He's uh, he does he does comedy. He's done. Uh, oh, he's done a ton of stuff. The last thing I know him from is because our mutual friend, a movie our mutual friend Thomas is in as an as a panicked town person. Oh, I love panicked town yep. person. He, the unholy, where we see that uh, he plays a bishop or a cardinal or some priest who can almost do a Boston accent. I see. Well, we've been down that road before, haven't we? Yeah. Yes, we have. Mandy Patenkin, a strangely named man. Mandy? (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that's, this is, I think he even considers this his signature role. Yeah. This is what everyone knows him for. I don't know that it's his best acting, and I would probably argue that it's not, but that being said, if you can name one Mandy Patenkin wrote, it's this one. Yeah. He does the job so well. He he's he buckles every swash in yes. sight. And I mean, and we we could get this. Why not? Might as well do this now. The sword fight in the film, which I didn't realize was called the most amazing sword fight in the world in the book, is a pretty amazing sword fight. It really is amazing to watch. I mean, it's pure stage fencing. Sure. They're all hitting each other's swords, but that's what true in every movie. But it's done so well, and the music works really well for it. And I like the little banter back and forth and of course one of the great quotable lines you know i know something you do not what is that i am not (laughs) (laughs) left-handed well and here's the thing even when something's choreographed and you know it's choreographed if it's done well enough it doesn't matter see every jackie chan film ever yep right because you know that there there's no wires there's no cg there's none of that stuff it's just Jackie getting the crap beaten out of him. And you know this because if you sit through the credits, you get to see him getting the crap beat out of him. Yes, you get to see him being bandaged or hauled off to the hospital or, oh, look, my bone is poking through. Cool. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just snap that back in. There we go. It doesn't matter if it's done. I mean, ballet is choreographed. Does that make it any less amazing? You don't think those people just come out and do that. So when you see a sword fight this well done, 
It really doesn't matter if it's stagecraft, if it's choreographed. It's very impressive, and it is a very impressive sword fight. Uh, Chris Sarandon, is he related? Uh, he actually was her, married to Susan Sarandon. Oh. That's where she got her name. Oh, okay. For some reason, she kept it. But no, that's the only relation. Okay. Yes, and Chris, Saran Chris Sarandon is there. Well. And he's very good at be basically being handsome and a jerk. The only other thing I know him from is Fright Night. Well, he's got some competition in this film about that. Oops, oh, we'll get yeah, to that in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. He, you know, but here's the thing. Nobody in this film is taxed, really. No. Except one person. We'll get to them a little bit later. He's fine. Yeah. Wallace Shawn is Wallace Shawn. Actually, Wallace Shawn surprises me a little in this movie. Who, th who knew he could be menacing? Yes, he and be. comedic at the same time. He's funny and scary, and that's really hard to do. You might apparently, even say, it's inconceivable. Inconceivable. The, the odd part is, apparently, this is a bit I left out, he was so insecure about it, he didn't think he could do this part. He was sure every day he was going to be fired. Hmm. The rumor is, and I have no confirmation, that he was the second choice. Oh. You know who the first was? Orson Welles. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Oh. That would have been a very different movie. I mean. Hey, it's friggin' inconceivable over here. <laughs> Here's the thing. Danny DeVito's very good at menacing. I'll give him yeah, that. Yeah, he would be. Yeah, it would have been a very different character. But I think he really pulls it off. I like the fact that the moments where he's like staring down Fezzik and Fezzik is cowering away from him. And Fezzik is literally three times to five times his size. Yeah. It's and yet you believe it because Sean is doing this menace, this presence that's really good. I still, you know, I can see why Danny DeVito would have been a choice because yeah. this is one of those rare instances where it's not I have anything against Wallace Sean's performance, but I actually can see DeVito doing that. And it would be different, but it would be good, I think. Yeah. So but um, I, I think he's great, and I, I love the, the duel of the battle of wits. Yes. Especially <laughs> when he's telling him why he knows what which drink it is. Aha, I switch glasses. Okay. <laughs> we have uh, Mel Smith, uh, whom I don't know from anything, the albino. He, yeah, he's a British comic actor. Sure. He's apparently was fairly popular over there. We got Christopher Guest. Yes. Who really, I remember going, that's the guy from Spinal Tap? Christopher Guest is a chameleon. I didn't write because he had a mustache and signed Spinal Tap, didn't he? No. Um, no, that's, no. He, that's, just, um, he just. Oh god, that the was guy a, from The Simpsons. Uh, that the, guy that the, with the name and the thing. Oh god, yeah, I know exactly who you mean. It's completely blank. I'm completely blanking. Not Hank Azaria. No, not. Not Dan Castellaneta. Uh, no, the other uh, one. <laughs> yes, the other one. Because there's only three people no. doing voices yeah. on that show. Yeah, he's the one with the mustache. No, he's um, uh, Christopher Guest was Nigel Tufnell. The, this one goes to eleven. Ah, oh, right, 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 right. Okay, very odd looking in that wig. Yeah, he's Man. also a remarkable director. He has that whole stable of weird movies: Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, The A Mighty Wind. And he's Apparently always Andre the Giant had yes. a mighty win. <laughs> a mighty win, the, the Andre the Giant story. I wonder if that inspired him to make that film. There is, by the way, a movie called My Dinner with Andre the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I do have a question before. Oh, well, wait. Well, let's get yeah. to Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. 
Billy Crystal in a role that will surprise you because not at all. <laughs> it's like, hello, I'm Billy Crystal. What did you think you were going to get? Yeah, and Carol Kane, who I honestly, oh. now that I know what it was happening, I honestly think looks like she too is having a lot of trouble not yep. laughing. She up. She's lucky because she's got all that face, all those face prosthetics to hide behind. Yeah, I didn't realize her character's name was Valerie, but there you it, go. It, it, it is. She said he says it. In the middle of one of the shouting matches, you, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. And they let him improvise. Wow. It's a big <laughs> let. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to say, so the one actor I think that really does stretch themselves really wide in a performance that I would not have expected out of them and have not seen before or since is Peter Cook. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> True love. <laughs> Now, there's that is one of the weirdest cameos. How did people not die during that scene? I I couldn't. I when in the theater, I couldn't hear the dialogue for like three <laughs> minutes because after that one word, the whole place was dying. <laughs> yeah, he's very funny. But yep. uh, I do have actually a question when I, before I bring up the next two actors because I don't know if this is part of the book. So we've got. Um, Peter Falk and Fred Savage. Now, yes. is that bracketing device in the book? That's actually a very complicated question. Oh. It's in the introduction. The whole idea, why not? The whole idea of this book, the book is like a narrative within a narrative. Okay. William Goldman writes this whole story about how when he was really sick, his grandfather came over with this book by, by this guy named S. Morgenstern called The Princess Bride and read it to him while he was sick. And uh, this is this is not true. He made it up. Well, I'll say it's, they say in the beginning, "Princess Bye" by S. Morgenstern. It's like uh, yeah. you know, that's a character. That's a character he made up. Mm. Is S. Mor is S. Morgenstern? Huh. And the whole thing, because it's a big deal about him and his relationship with his grandfather, because his grandfather is an immigrant that doesn't speak English all that well, and when he accuses him of not reading part of it right, like when Wesley dies, mm -hmm. that you read that wrong. The grandfather gets upset and leaves, or and doesn't come back for a day or two. But wait, in the book? No, in well, he in, leave the in the pre. Movie. No, in the book he leaves. Oh, in the okay. in the movie he's just sort of annoyed. So all of this no, is in the introduction, though. It's all the introduction. Oh. In, once they actually start the narrative, that's none of. Except he interrupts it all the time. The narrator is a major part of the Princess Bride in the way that it isn't in the movie. Oh, yeah. Now, we, do you think that's very a loss? Different. Yes, but there's no way you could have done it. Why? It, it's too interrupting to have a narrator. It takes you out of it too much. But we have one. Yeah, but it's he's fairly minimal, and it's all just basic description. The, the, the narrator in Princess Bride is telling all these jokes and oh. explaining, explaining the backstory of all the characters. That's the thing I was sorry we don't get... The backstory of Fezzik is just tragic. It's just very sad, and Inigo's is much more tragic in the book. The other thing is, the whole idea of this book is eventually 
As an adult, William Goldman tracks down The Princess Bride, this non-existent book, and tries to get his own kid to read it, and the kid can't get through it. And now he, Goldman hasn't looked at the book since he was a kid, and he looks at it and he realizes his grandfather edited the book as he was reading it. Oh. Because most of the book is incredibly boring. It's supposed <laughs> to be a political historical novel about, you know, and it's like a social satire of 17th century or 16th century stuff. And it's so dull. And his grandfather, as he put it, gave him the good parts version. Oh. And that is the book Goldman claimed he wrote. He wrote the good part. And every so often he'll say, in this section, S. Morgenstern writes 15 pages about the princess's wardrobe. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Sort of like that whole chapter about not tying in Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I can see why you'd say that that wouldn't necessarily work. Yeah. Hmm. And there, the book, in a lot of ways, is a lot darker than the movie. That line at the beginning, when Wesley is reported dead and Buttercup says, I will never love again. In the book, the next line is, and she never did. <gasps> and in the book, you're like, oh, God, that's horrible, until you realize later, oh, because Wesley's still alive and she still loves him. Ah. Uh, oops. And huh. even at at the end, in the movie... They ride off on white horses into the sunset, and there's a makeout session, and everything's wonderful in the book. And as Goldman says, I, that's how he thought as a kid. That's how he thought the book ended. But the last line, the last couple of lines are like, this was before Buttercup's horse threw a shoe, and Inigo's wound opened up, and the woods behind them were allowed with alive with the cries of, get them! Yikes. Yeah. Huh. It's a lot more open-ended. Huh. I, I I do find it really interesting that the author wrote the screenplay because that doesn't happen often. I can only no. think of one other example, and it really surprised me to find out what it was. Which one's it? And that is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Roald Dahl wrote, wrote the... Yes, he did. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it wow. was like, you know, they did stuff to it a little bit later, but yes, he adapted <laughs> it, which is... Because it's, it's similar it's so to the different. book, but it's very different. Yeah, very different. And, you know, that's that speaks of somebody who actually has got not only a very level head on their shoulders, but also understands the limitations of a different format or a different medium, because it's like, well, you can't do this. You can only do this in imagination. You literally can't do th It's very much like uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The entire book takes place inside the head of a mute. It's like, how are you going to film that? Well, we're not going to make him the center character of the story. Well, that's probably a good choice, yeah, because yeah. otherwise we're not going to have any movie. So that's really interesting. Um, I did not know that. I did want to welcome a guest appearance by the Vulcan Neck Pinch because yes, I know. <laughs> apparently, yes, that's, that's a, what it takes to get rid of. I, I have it written in the Andre Neck Pinch as he <laughs> knocks out uh, Princess Buttercup. Um, something you may not have known is that this film actually had a different title. They were going to give it a different title, but yes. it's from the book. Yeah, the original title of this film was My Dinner with Wallace Shawn, <laughs> <laughs> but they decided maybe we'll just stick with the original. Yeah, that was probably a good choice. I don't know. Yeah. I, the sword fight leapt out, and I, I made a note about that. Um, did, is there any other scenes or, or elements I, of the film that you just said? Thing, one of the things that really surprised me about Carrie Elways is how good he was at the physical comedy when he's still mostly dead. Oh, right. And they're, like, moving his head around, and he's flopping his arm. I think that's hilarious. Mm. And I th also, 
I really like the way Mandy Patinkin does some of the more dramatic stuff with Inigo when he's praying to his father's spirit to guide him to where the man in black is. There's also some surprisingly dark messaging in here, which is much more prevalent in the book. When Wesley dies and suddenly we're back in little Fred Savage, is saying to Grandpa Peter Falk, who, by the way, I want Peter Falk to be my grandpa, <laughs> he's, he's like, but but that's not fair. And he looks at him and says, who says life is fair? Where is that and written? That was one of my quotes. The man in black, before he's revealed himself to Buttercup, says to her, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Yeah, Wesley. Ouch. Yeah, Wesley is, I got to say, he's kind of a douche in that sequence. I use the word dick, but it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just, he really well, is. when he comes back, it's like, why, he? so he's gone off because once they finally admit to each other that they love each other and want to get married, he's like, I don't have the fortune to marry you, although it doesn't look like she has much of one either. No, but. So he decides yeah. to go off and make his fortune so he can marry her. And word comes back that he's met up, sadly, with the dread pirate Roberts who has killed him. She thinks he's dead. And she hasn't exactly moved on. She's basically in shock and stays in shock. And when a prince comes by and says, hey, Want to marry me? I'll take you to the palace and give you lots of money. She's like, I guess. I mean, seriously, we don't see her say that, but that's pretty much her. Yeah, I, okay. Well, it's also in the book. He points out, hi, I'm your prince. Marry me. She says, no. And he says, if you disobey me, I'll have you killed. Which it, we, we which don't... he could do. He's a friggin' prince. Sure. But it honestly, in the film, feels more like she's like, she's just still sort of yeah, numb. and she Going goes, through the motions. Sure, whatever. Yep. She doesn't love him. No, but then but Wesley like, well, comes back and he's pissed because she didn't wait for him. And it's like, I yeah. thought you were dead. Yeah, for five <laughs> years, man. This is medieval times. I could have been dead. I, you know I, you know what the leading cause of death was in this time? January. <laughs> and what's he off doing? He's off with his bros learning to sword fight. He's being a pirate. Apparently he couldn't like send her a letter or... Yeah. A note and say, hey, guess what? I'm not dead. Be back soon. Yeah. So I. that Yeah. That always bothered me. Yeah, me too. Because it's like, because then he tries to make her feel bad. And it's like, um, how come, how about you're a dick? Let's just settle on that. You're a dick. Yeah. I, she's perfectly right to throw him off a cliff. But then, of course, when eventually the mask comes off, twoo love. <laughs> yep. Yeah. She spots it pretty quickly when he's just rolling down the hill and he does that lit, as you wish. Like, oh, it's Wesley. I mean, really, the whole Batman thing fooled you, but... <laughs> let's face it, it took her that long. Yeah. It's not that big a mustache, and yeah. let's face it, if Wesley was going to grow one, that's about as much as he'd get. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet each one of those little hairs has a name. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. The problem with the mustache. I know it's trying to be Errol Flynn, but you just keep wanting to go, hang on, buddy, you got something. Let me, let me get that for you. <laughs> Were you drinking my milkshake? Because I think that's what happened there. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene with uh, Inigo that I actually really like, and that's when he kills the Duke of Dunder, whatever his name yeah. is, Count Rugen. Oh, yes. And he's like, um, my whole life has been revenge. Now what do I do? Yeah. Like, he's just like, I literally have, I, that's all I've been thinking about for the last 20 years. 
I have no idea to do. My first thought is um, a doctor might be a good choice. Yes. Some stitches, a blood transfusion. Because he's like dying. He's been stabbed in the gut. In once the gut. In the shoulder. You walk away from that. And then he gets up, kills Count Rugen, and then literally it's like, ah, it's just a flesh wound. I'm fine. <laughs> like, uh, blah, blah, blah. It is but a scratch. And of course, you know. Uh, it's a movie West, wound. Yeah, it, I guess. It's a wound of convenience. I'm sure that's in the book somewhere. And then Wesley gives him, he's like, you know. And I'll get to this because it's one of my quotes. But he, I, we assume he goes yeah. off to be become Dread Pirate Roberts, and that's Yeah, fine. why not? He'd be good at it, yeah. Why not? <laughs> I do like the fight with Count Rugen. That I, I got to get back to Christopher Guest. His present, his performance as Count Rugen, I think is often kind of overlooked because it's so toned down. Compared it's to very, everyone else, yeah. It, yeah, everyone else is kind of, you know, theatrical and over the top, and he's so quietly creepy like you've you've been chasing me all this time only to fail now i think that's the worst thing i've ever heard how marvelous like yeah yeah i will also say that he only does this because he cheats and i think it's interesting that when confronted by inigo montoya he realizes oh i'm (laughs) not that yeah oh look he turns, a cat he runs he literally went he, he first meets inigo his thing they get into the poses that like they're gonna fight and he turns and runs and inigo is like that's not how it's supposed to go yeah we uh a lot you brought up a lot and uh time yeah. is strangely yeah. ticking fast we should get to the quotes oh yeah so <laughs> did you do a website thing at all or i did not i just because everyone is it's not like top five quotes it's always top 150 top 300 there are so many quotes in this movie so we already did the hello quote yeah how many did I, you choose uh, i got about 20 30 can, can you <laughs> cut some of that down i absolutely can <laughs> You know, I always like that. This is true love. You think this happens every day? Probably some local fisherman out for a pleasure cruise at night through eel-infested waters. <laughs> In the book, by the way, it's sharks, which uh, sounds better. But eels is more, well, yeah. who cares? Who knows uh, yeah. where they are? I always like, I could give you my word as a Spaniard. No good. I'd known too many Spaniards. Ouch. I'm not left-handed. We did. You know, get used to disappointment. It's not my fault being the biggest and the strongest. I don't even exercise. <laughs> One I think is strangely timely for our day. Why Why are you wearing a mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? No, it's just that they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing one in the future. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> and guess what? They're not. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. Ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes, morons. <laughs> We'll never survive. Nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. Why don't you just give me a nice paper cut and rub lemon juice in it? He's <laughs> lifting up his... I've seen worse. You know, have fun storming the castle. Yeah. Let me explain. No, there is no time. Let me sum up. Oh, this key. <laughs> so I've got nine. Okay, okay. Can I get my nine? We just do the one others. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Ah, look, that was one of okay. mine. I have what eight. Are you, okay, <laughs> what are your eight? You keep using that word. I oh, do not yeah. think it means what you think it means. No one would surrender to the dread pirate Westley. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. I swear it will be done. And which one you brought up earlier. Who said life is fair? Where is that written? 
Bow to the Queen of Slime. Bow to the Queen of Filth. Bow to the Queen of Putrescence. I've just sucked one year of your life away, which is how I feel after some of the movies we've done. In the show. <laughs> if he's all dead, there's only one thing you can do: go through his clothes and hopeful he'll change. <laughs> and my last one was: Have you ever considered piracy? You'd make a great Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> And he's the, the, we know the answer to this. Is this really a quotable? F yes. Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so uh, unless you have any other final salient points nope, about let's go this to the wrap-up. We should go to the wrap-up. The finish. So, Max. Yeah. You've seen this when it came out. You've seen it yep, many times. Many you times. love the book. You've eaten the yep. breakfast cereal. You use the floor I've polish. worn the T-shirt. <laughs> what do you think of The Princess Bride? The movie. It's okay. I, I like it. I enjoy it. It is not, to me, it's not the transcendent experience it is for a lot of people. And I have a particular reason for that. Do tell. When I was in college, somebody, and I wished I, know, I knew who, before anyone knew about the movie, apparently the book was fairly popular. I'd never heard of it. These couple of kids in college adapted it into a play oh. and performed it. And it is my one major regret in college. I had a chance to be in it, and I turned it down. With a name the, like Max? <laughs> the guy who was playing Miracle Max and the narrator, Maxwell Morgenstern, was a guy who was in a vaudeville troupe with me named Joel, and he didn't want to do the part. And he was like, Max, come on, you've got the name and everything. Would you come and tell and you know try out for it at least? Let me talk to the director. I'd really rather. I don't want to do this part. I don't have the time. And I said, No, nah, I'm sorry. I, I just I I don't know what this thing is, and I don't have time either. I I'm still hundred years later. I'm still kicking myself. Hmm. And the play is was brilliant. Hmm. It captured so. It's much longer, and it captures much more of the book. I think the book is wonderful. The book is funny. It's a little. It's darker. It's very aware. It, it's a lot of fun. The movie is good. It just leaves out so much. Mm. It's kind of painful for me because of its of the adaptative native nature of it. Yeah, I mean, it. I know it couldn't include everything in the book. Nothing ever does. But I, I think it's good. I just don't think it's great. What about you? I I seem to remember you were not crazy about this movie. It's email time. All right. So I saw this film at some point, and it was pre uh, given to me as, you know, oh, this is a great film, which is always a bad thing. Yeah. Whenever you tell somebody how great a film is going to be, I might instantly, my little alert lights go off, and, you know, there's a, a klaxon in my head. It's like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> And I saw it, and I was like, eh. It's like, it's cute, I guess. I don't get it. Or, I mean, I get it. It just doesn't reach me. Not entirely unlike last week's film, The Big Lebowski. I understand why people like it. It just does not touch me. Negative, negative, it impacted on the surface. Yeah. And so I have not seen this film since then. And my opinion really hasn't changed. Ah, uh, okay. So some of my notes, the R.O.U.S. is somewhat lacking. I mean, it's a guy in a suit. Yeah. You know it's a suit. It's not a good suit. It's not interesting. Yeah, yeah it's not a great effect. The sets are very setty. The yeah. special effects are not so special. 
the acting is okay. We've got a lot of amazing people in here, none of whom are really flexing that much. Occasionally, you'll get some people that are acting outside their usual, but it's not like we're looking at Oscar-worthy stuff here. The pacing's a little slow. I don't think the film's that funny. The way it's shot feels very TV to me. Now, does that mean I think people shouldn't like this film? No. If you love The Princess Bride, good. I'm glad you have that special film. It's like there's films that I love. <laughs> like, there's no reason anyone should love Hudson Hawk. And I <laughs> totally get if you don't find the film delightful. That's fine. And this is a very important lesson that we have to all learn. It's okay if somebody else doesn't like something you love. It doesn't change how you feel about it. Right. Max still likes this film. He doesn't love it. He doesn't mind not liking it. Does not change that in the least. Nope. Now, if I sat there and berated him with reasons he shouldn't like the film, well, that's a different story. (laughs) Yes. And then I would have to pummel you savagely. Well, you're going to do that anyway. Well, yes, but I'd enjoy it more. So. Oh, who am I kidding? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) I think I I couldn't. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) I think it's a C at best. Oh, uh, see, I give it a solid B to B plus. I think it's, I think it's good. I just don't think it's great. And that's fine. And I get the lines. To me, a, a bunch of quotable lines does not a movie make. I couldn't tell how we were supposed to take it. Is it because it feels very tongue in cheek, but not that tongue in cheek? I wish that the fantasy and elements of the film had been taken further. And I want to point at another film that has a similar bracketing structure, which is the Never Ending Story. And I think for a fantasy story, it does this better, even with special effects that are, in some cases, no more special than they are in this film. (laughs) So it's okay. I'm going to stick with meh. And if you love the film, awesome. I am not going to try and convince you otherwise. Um, If you want to state your own opinion, get your own show. (laughs) Or go ahead and write us back. Address the email directly to me through us at maxmikemovies.com. It's fine. Yep. So, Feel free to in, to include some cyber anthrax. Yeah. Huh? I'm glad I watched it again, though, because you never mm. know. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it film, changes. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes with your age, things change. Yep. In this case, for me, it didn't. For in case for Max, it actually brings him back not only memories of having liked the film, but this other experience that he'll never forget because of it. So awesome. Yeah. But. We have yes. a poll question to go over again and ways to answer, ways of remembrance. Ways of remembrance. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the That's prancing fluids. Um, <laughs> who is your favorite athlete turned actor? Or do you think athletes should just stay in their lane and not bother the nice actors? And you can answer this in a number of ways that have numbers, and we will give them. Way number A is you can email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. This is also where you can write Mike and tell him he's wrong about the Princess Bride. Wrong! (laughs) Wrong! Pat Buchanan! Method two, you can uh, find us on the socially mediatedness at uh, The Facing Book. Just say social. Just say, you you don't have to go into this thing. Social media. No. (laughs) There's nothing social about it. It's anti-social media. That's where we get the answers to our poll question. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to him. Keep answering. (laughs) (laughs) So you can add on Facebook under Max Mike Movies there every week. And of course, we have a website, MaxMikeMovies.com, where you can go, leave a comment, tell... Tell Mike what you really think of him. Tell me what you really think of Mike. Are you saying I'm dumb? Is no. that what you're saying? 
Are you saying I'm dumb? No, I never because said that. Because if I'm dumb, you're yeah. dumber. Oh, yeah? And that might be a clue as to what we're watching next week. Citizen Kane? Oh, you are dumber. And <laughs> another suggestion from our buddy the Weasel, one of the films that he seems to think is very quotable is Dumb and Dumber. And hey, oh. I've never seen it. Neither have I. Really? I have. Ne- I know it's a Jim Carrey movie I've never seen. That's amazing. Well, you know, together, the Moron Twins, we'll find <laughs> out next week. We're not twins. <laughs> it's true. If there are lots and lots of quotes in Dumb and Dumber, or yeah. really it's just a film that we should flush. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.